When Ronald Reagan was president, he once told the story about a woman who went up and knocked on a man's door. When he opened the door, she looked at him and said, do you own a black pit bull dog? Well, yes I do, the man said. And the woman looked at him and said, I'm sorry to inform you, but your dog is dead. Dead, the man said, what happened? She looked at him and said, my Pekingese killed it. You know what a Pekingese is? It's a breed of dog. It weighs about seven pounds, tiny little thing, and about six inches tall. It's the kind of dog you sometimes see people carrying around in their purse. Anyway, my Pekingese killed it, she said to the man, and he said, what? What happened? She looked at him and said, it got stuck in its throat. <laughs> I think Ronald Reagan told that story to, uh, to emphasize a very important point, that sometimes something small can make a very big difference. And you know that Jesus made the same point about, about faith. I don't know where you think you are in your walk with Jesus. I don't know how you evaluate your faith, but I do know that Jesus gives us a pretty clear indication that if you're afraid that your faith is small, it's actually exactly where it needs to be in order to make a big difference. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And the reason Jesus said that is because he knew something about faith. He knew that a person's faith is really only as strong as what you have faith in. Uh, for example, if I put all of my faith in this little pencil, and I worship this pencil, and I bow down to this pencil, and I give an offering to this pencil, and I build a church to this pencil, and I believe wholeheartedly, with all my heart, that this pencil one day is going to lift me all the way to heaven. Well, in the end, I'll be disappointed because I'm putting my faith in something that cannot save. But when our faith is in the God who put the mountains into place, who walked on the water and calmed the sea, who used a cross to prove the strength of his love for you and me, well, then your faith is already exactly where it needs to be to make a big difference. And that's what we'll be talking about this week. How your faith, whether you think it's big or small, can do just that. A while back, my family and I spent the day in a state park doing some hiking. And while we were hiking, I saw something that I had never seen before. We saw a rock that was about the size of a basketball. And on the top of the rock, out of the middle of it, was a plant that was growing out of the rock, which looked really unusual. And the roots for the plant were underneath the rock. And I thought, Boy, it must have taken a long time to get there because this plant would have grown up out of the ground. It would have, you know, hit its head on the rock in a sense, but it didn't give up. It either found its, you know, found a crack that worked all the way through the rock, or maybe amazingly, it just chipped away at the rock all the way up as it was growing, and it and it didn't give up. But but I had the thought, I'm like, man, this must have taken a long time. In fact, I bet we were some of the first people to see this plant growing up out of the rock. If somebody would have come a week earlier or two weeks earlier or a month earlier or maybe many months earlier and if you told them that there was a plant growing in that rock, they would have called you crazy. And yet it was. It was there the whole time. I think of that story and it highlights an important biblical truth, I think, that that some things take time to grow. You know, like have you ever heard the phrase, an, an acorn doesn't become an oak overnight. It takes, it takes time. Jesus said the same thing is true about our faith. That faith takes time to grow. Or uh, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 4, he talks about a head of grain in the same way. He says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. 
A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. In other words, there is progression, there is growth, and that growth doesn't happen quickly. And that's important to keep in mind in really two areas. Firstly, it's important to keep in mind when you're thinking about the faith of other Christians. You know, don't, don't expect young kids or teenagers to act like grown adults all the time. Don't expect new Christians to always act like mature Christians. Don't expect mature Christians to always act like perfect Christians. Every Christian's faith needs to grow, and we need to be patient as it grows. Secondly, it's important to keep in mind when it comes to your faith. If you're like me, then sometimes you can get kind of frustrated with your faith. You know, instead of, instead of being strong and courageous, sometimes, sometimes we get afraid. Instead of facing death with confidence, sometimes we feel really timid. And that's because our faith is never perfect either. It needs to grow. And you can be patient with yourself because Jesus is. You just think about his disciples and how far they were from being the perfect Christians and the, during the weekend on which he died. You know, Judas betrayed him and Peter denied him three times and the other disciples all ran away and by Sunday night they were all locked away in a room feeling really, really afraid and then Jesus appeared to them. And he didn't say, Man, I am so done with your puny faith. The first word out of his mouth was the word, Peace. And then just by being there, he was telling them, you know what, now we're going to be together forever in heaven someday. And that set, that set the church free to grow into what it is today, a planting of God himself that includes you and me. Do you ever struggle in your faith? I want you to know that your struggles in faith, they, they mean something really significant. A couple of years ago, there was some major flooding in Louisiana. Uh, Josh is a guy who lives in Baton Rouge who was affected by the major flooding and like many others, as the water started to rise one feet, two feet, three feet, up to eight feet, he got into a boat so that he could stay alive. And as he was riding in his boat through the city streets, he looked off in the distance and he saw a bush that was shaking. And as he got closer, he discovered why it was shaking. There was a dog that was trapped underneath that bush trying to tread water. Its nose and its eyes were just barely above the water and it was obviously working very hard to try and tread water. And so Josh went over to this bush and set the dog free, grabbed the bush and threw him you know, in, into, the, into the bottom of his boat and the, bo and the dog just collapsed from exhaustion. Josh didn't know for how long the dog had been struggling. It was obviously a very long time. But you know something? We knew what it would have meant if the dog had stopped struggling. It would have meant that the dog had given up hope of any good future ever happening. And in that sense, a struggle is a good thing. A struggle is a sign of hope, just like it is with your faith. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said this. He said, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That phrase, make every effort, literally means to struggle. And so Jesus wants you to struggle. He expects you to struggle because he knows what it means that we struggle. You know, if a person stops struggling against sin and against temptation, if they live in the present as if they believe there is no good future waiting for them, you know what that means? It means that something very significant is missing from their life. It means they're missing hope. But hope is exactly what we have, not because of our struggles, but because our Jesus chose to struggle. 
under a heavier weight of sin, under more aggressive assaults of temptation than you and I have ever experienced. Just so you and I and everyone, everyone else who fails in our faith so easily and so often could live with the truth that we're forgiven of anything that might ever make us ashamed to stand in front of him. When you start to feel down about your struggles, just ask yourself this. Did that happen? Did Jesus die? Were your sins forgiven? Did he rise from the dead? Is he preparing a place for you in heaven? And notice that the best way to address your struggles in faith, the best way to address your fear about them, is not to look at yourself. Because if you shine the spotlight on yourself and focus on how good you are, or on how much you believe, on how far you've come, or on how much better you are than other people around you, man, you'll be so full of yourself, you'll never fit through the narrow door of heaven. But if you shine the spotlight on Jesus, and just look at who he is and what he did, then you will always see yourself as some, someone that God has already chosen to love both here on earth and forever in heaven. And you will always find reasons to keep going in your struggling. When my wife's grandmother was just starting her family life, she planted a seed in the ground. It was the seed of a peony bush, uh, her favorite bush. And that bush grew up and she took care of it for many, many decades until she couldn't take care of it any longer. When she got to the point where she couldn't take care of it any longer, she, she uprooted the bush and handed it off to my wife's mother, who then planted it in the ground at her home and took care of it for many more decades. And actually uprooted it eight different times and moved it with her eight different times to eight different homes and took care of it very well until she handed it off to my wife when we got married. And so we took this very important bush and we planted it in a prominent location in our front yard so that everybody could see this precious heirloom. A number of years ago, we were having our yard landscaped by some professional landscapers. And one Sunday morning, we were coming home from church and we saw that one of the landscapers was already working in the yard. He was using his big machinery, the bulldozers and the bobcats, to clear the yard and level it and get it ready for the grass seed that was going to be coming in. And as we pulled into the driveway, my wife Karen, she noticed something. The peony bush was gone. The landscaper had bulldozed over it and picked it up with his bobcat and thinking that it was a weed, just tossed it into the back of the dump truck. Karen, of course, knew that it wasn't just a weed. And so, you know what she did? She went to the garage, she grabbed a shovel, and while still in her Sunday dress and her heels, she jumped into the dump truck and she started digging for the peony bush. She found a few of its remains just a few feet down, but it, would, it looked like just a bunch of busted roots. The, the peony bush, it was, it was gone. A couple of months later, they started building a home right next door to ours, and it turned out it probably wasn't the best location to plant a peony bush that was so important because their bobcats and bulldozers were just going over that same area where that bush had been, and it would have been destroyed anyway. And um, they were basically using the peony's grave as their own personal dragway. A couple of months after that, my wife was talking on the phone with her sister, talking about the peony bush. These things are hard to get over. When she looked out the window and looked at the place where the peony bush had been, and do you know what she saw coming up out of the ground? Some green leaves. And do you know what they were coming from? From the seed of the peony bush that was still in the ground. All those bulldozers weren't powerful enough to destroy the seed. A seed is a very powerful thing, which is why the Word of God compares our faith to a seed. In 1 Peter it says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, which lives forever. 
Simply put, God's word has great power in your life when it is planted within you. It, it changes you. It strengthens you to produce the Holy Spirit's precious and valuable fruit when it puts its roots deep down inside of you. And do you know how hard you need to work in order to make that wonderful growth happen? Well, how, how hard does the soil need to work in order to make the seed grow? The answer is, it doesn't. Earlier this week, we read from Mark chapter 4, where Jesus said, Night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, all by itself. Don't burden your heart with unrealistic expectations. Great Christian growth is accomplished not by us working harder and harder to love Jesus or prove that we belong to him. Great Christian growth is accomplished by spending more time resting in God's word, soaking in his wonderful promises and trusting that the seed that he planted inside you really is as powerful as he says it is. I received a phone call a while back from a friend that I hadn't heard from in a long time and so I was very excited to hear his voice. I picked up the phone and said, how you doing? Okay, he said, but in a way that made it pretty clear that he wasn't and it didn't take long for him to tell me why. It was because he had lost something. I've lost my faith, he said. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. He grew up believing in Jesus. He taught his kids about Jesus. His kids still believe in Jesus and go to church and he's glad for that, but he just said that he doesn't believe anymore. He doesn't have faith. Ever worry that the same thing might one day happen to you? Do you ever worry about losing your faith? That happened for my friend shortly after there had been some major flooding in the state of Texas. And he said that it was really painful. He watched all these news stories about people dying, including little children, and he just wondered why a loving God would ever allow something like that to happen. And I'd been paying attention to the news and I had seen many of the same stories and there were some pretty tragic ones. For example, there was a story about a mom named Colette who was driving her three-year-old daughter in their truck through the floodwaters trying to get to safety, but eventually the waters were too high and she couldn't drive any longer and the waters continued to rise and so she knew she had to get out of her truck and so she grabbed her three-year-old daughter they exited the truck but as soon as they did the powerful current swept them away and colette struggled to keep both her head and the head of her daughter above the water and she couldn't do both as they flew down the rapids eventually a rescue team that was in a boat they saw them coming and they were able to pull both of them into their rescue boat just before they would have disappeared underneath a bridge when they landed in the boat the three-year-old was cold but alive Colette was unresponsive. The three-year-old lived, but Colette died. She died saving her daughter's life. Now I know that when we hear stories like that, it can fill our minds with all sorts of questions. Questions about God, questions about when and why he acts and when and why he doesn't. And I wish I knew an answer to every last one of them. I don't. I do, however, know this. That when God looked down from heaven and saw us struggling, he didn't stay away. He put on human skin, dove right into the rapids, and eventually climbed across where he was assaulted by the high waters of hell that, that we can't even imagine, all while holding our fragile souls that are so troubled by life and troubled by sin above the water so that we could breathe in the reality of being forgiven, of anything that might ever separate us from him, and the reality of knowing that one day we will taste the best of heaven with our own palate. And not because our faith is so great but because that's exactly what Jesus promises will happen. In John chapter 10, Jesus said this to his, about his disciples. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Maybe our grip on him is sometimes pretty weak. 
but his grip on us, it isn't. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Did you know that the video you just saw and everything we do at Time of Grace is completely donor funded? Which is our way of saying we don't have a tree that grows money in the back of our office. And we don't get government funds and we're not connected to one specific church. And even though we get to do media ministry, we're not flush with cash. Instead, we rely on people just like you whose open hearts and generosity let us spread the message of Jesus to more and more people through so many platforms. So thank you so much for your support. All of you who have given and made this possible, we are grateful for you. And we really need all of you to step up, be generous, so that we can spread the message of God's grace to the ends of the earth. Thanks again and have a great day. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thank you so much for investing your limited time to grow in your faith with us. But could I ask you for one more favor? I'm sure you're itching to check out social media or go on to the next part of your day, but you could do a huge help for the kingdom of God if you would rate and review this podcast. Just taking a few seconds of your time will help other people to find Time of Grace, which matters so much to us because we want people to hear about grace, to hear about Jesus, to hear about eternal life. So thanks for taking a little more time. We pray that God blesses you with a great day and we'll see you soon.